0: Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 267th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is a beloved TV actor who made his name 30 years ago as Zach Morris on the NBC sitcom Saved by the Bell and who has appeared on many other notable series, including ABC's NYPD Blue and TNT's Franklin & Bash, en route to his current gig as the star of Fox's The Passage a dystopian vampire thriller of a drama series for which he could conceivably land the first Primetime Emmy nomination of his 35-year career, Mark-Paul Gosselar. Over the course of our conversation at the offices of The Hollywood Reporter, the 45-year-old and I discussed how he broke into show business as a toddler and wound up playing Zach Morris, initially on the Disney Channel's short-lived series Good Morning Miss Bliss, which was then reimagined as Saved by the Bell, how he was professionally, socially, and financially impacted by his five years in the Saved by the Bell sphere, which included the series, spin-off series, and two TV movies. And how things changed for him when that chapter came to an end. How he then emerged from child stardom, shed his momager, and re-emerged as a constantly in-demand adult actor, thanks in no small part to the late Stephen Bochco, who was behind not only NYPD Blue, but also Commander-in-Chief and Raising the Bar, two other shows on which Goslar appeared. And why his last two shows, Fox's Pitch and Now the Passage, are among those of which he is proudest. So, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Mark Paul, thank you so much for joining us. We have had over 250 guests on this podcast, from Meryl Streep to Steven Spielberg But I don't know if any have had the personal significance of this one. I feel like I grew up watching you, trying to be as cool as you, following (laughs) your whole career. So I really appreciate it. We always begin with just some basics. Where were you born and raised and what did your folks do for a living? Born and raised in
1: Los Angeles in the Valley, Panorama City, which is close by Sun Valley. So deep valley. Yes. My parents are Dutch immigrants that traveled to the U.S. a few years before I was born. I am one of four my siblings were all born in Holland, and there's a big gap between them and myself. My next
0: sibling is 11 years older wow. than me. You guys, if what I read is correct, actually like grew up speaking Dutch in the yeah. house. Yeah, yeah.
1: so Dutch was uh, probably my first language in the house, obviously. And then, yeah, I went to school, uh, a little private school here in the valley called Laurel Hall. And I was there for many years, and then I've
0: been basically an L.A. kid my yeah. entire life. So... You started in the public eye at a very early age. I mean, people think it was an early age to see you and say by the Bell, but it goes way back before that. Yeah. How did it start? Why did it start? Was it something you were choosing to pursue or you were encouraged to pursue, or how did it all get going?
1: No, I mean, my mother was not in the business. My father was absolutely not in the business. My father worked at a aluminum plant in Torrance. My mother was a housewife and raised us. She had a friend, the way I, I remember the story, she had a friend who was a print model. And she said, you know, the typical, you have a really cute son. Right. If you want to get him into print work, I can steer you into a direction of an agent. And I think that's how it started. It was, it was one of those things where I do a, a print ad for May Company or Sears or, or something like that. And then eventually that turned into then going for commercials and then going for theatrical
0: work we're talking starting as early as four? It was, I think my first print ad was four, yeah. Wow, so were you able to simultaneously have any semblance of a normal childhood? Were you in a regular school? No, I was in
1: a regular school. I was in a regular school all the way up until Say by the Bell. Say by the Bell, I, I started filming that when I was 12. I had just started high school, or I was about to start high school. Can't really remember, but... That was the first time where I was working, you know, six, seven months out of the year and a school couldn't keep up with that. So I had to go to a special school. I couldn't go to my local high school. For me, I didn't grow up saying I want to be an actor. Right. I didn't even know that was possible. I did it because it was fun. It was sort of an after school activity, much like Little League or Pop Warner. You would just go to interviews and possibly do three a day. And I would do my homework in the car. And I remember the drive I drove it this morning coming here was over Laurel Canyon. My school was on Oxnard and Laurel Canyon. I'd get in the car after school, do my homework, make that drive over Laurel Canyon and then go into Hollywood, go to a few auditions and then head back home.
0: And the acting itself, it doesn't sound like there was even time for you to have taking courses and stuff. So this is just a natural gift or how would you describe it? I don't know about natural (laughs) gift. I think it's something
1: I still work at it today. I I just watched a cut of my last show, episode 10. Mm -hmm. And again, I I, I wrote notes of things that I, I need to work on, things that I wanted to improve upon. And for me, acting was, I didn't go to a lot of classes, but I would just learn and be open to being taught. As I worked. So on set, that's where I figured I got my education
0: as an actor. And you enjoyed the process of actually doing it?
1: Yeah, I think I did. I mean, there was sometimes I wouldn't, you know, when I'd be outside. Playing with my friends and then I'd get called in to go for an audition or my mom would say I couldn't get a scratch because right. I, I just booked a commercial and, and uh, you know I had to make sure that all my teeth were in my right. in my in my right head place yeah yeah so that wasn't fun because I had a relatively normal I mean normal in air quotes right what's normal but right. I, I had a relatively normal upbringing in childhood
0: well I think there's a common misconception that you just kind of came out of the blue with say by the Bell but right. in fact if you look at the Filmography, the 86, 87, 88, these years right before it. Can I just mention some of these major shows that you were, you know, doing an episode or two on Twilight Zone, Wonder Years, Punky Brewster, Charles in Charge? Did you get a sense that you were building momentum towards something like Saved by the Bell, or were those no. just, what was that? Again, there was no. There was no
1: end game. There was no goal. There was, there was you know, I see these. these I'm working with one who, yeah. uh, you know, she's super talented and she has a direction. She sees her peers and there is something to work towards. For me, I felt like, and my mom had no idea because she wasn't in the industry, right. but we just went wherever the current took us. I auditioned for say by the Bell. Well, actually, Miss Bliss. And then say by the Bell. Before that, I had worked on a film that, Alan Arkin's wife wrote it was mm-hmm. called Necessary Parties and Alan Arkin starred in it as well and he became a mentor to me wow. I lived in New York with him for about a month while I was filming and I asked him when I got the script for Say by the Bell if this is something that I should do or for, for Miss Bliss or for Miss Bliss yes, right yes. no actually it was, I was it was actually Say by the Bell Miss Bliss Miss Bliss seemed like a, a one-off kind of thing it, it never there was nothing behind it but Say by the Bell was going to be a bigger, thing. A bigger thing. Network,
0: NBC. Network, NBC. Can we just, for listeners, just yeah. to break it down quickly, that basically, and stop me if any of this is yeah. wrong, but my understanding was that NBC at the time in the late 80s is run by Brandon Tartikoff, mm-hmm. who wants to make a show modeled after a teacher who had inspired him. And so Peter Engel comes up with Good Morning, Miss Bliss, which was centered on Haley Mills, the teacher mm-hmm. character who we then would see again in Say by the Bell, but this was gonna be centered on her, and then there was gonna be kind of a central punk student in her class, which would be also called Zach Morris. So how did you even first hear about that? It only lasted one season before Zach Morris was revived in Say by the Bell. Was there a casting director? Who first brought it to your attention? My agent, I yeah. guess. My agent sent me on an audition for a
1: show that I was right for. I, the funny thing about that was a month before I went in for the audition, I was in Harlingen, Texas at a Marine Military Academy. And I was going through a two-week boot camp there to see if I was eligible to go to school there in the fall. Wow. And so when I came back for the audition for Say by the Bell, my hair was a lot shorter. I had a buzz cut in Texas. And my mom... Used to spray sun in in my hair, trying to keep the blonde highlights in my hair. But she sprayed <laughs> sun in, and I'm not sure if she actually dyed it, but that's how I went in as the character of Zach. Wow! And that's why we had to keep the, the kind of the dye hair. job going for the next <laughs> six you're years. you're actually
0: what, like brown? I'm naturally haired,
1: brown. I'm in a. I think we all, at some point as little kids, had the yes. blonde highlights, sandy, yeah. the sandy blonde. Yeah. Uh, But my mom kept it up even more with the sun in, which I'm sure you can't even buy anymore because it's it's (laughs) toxic. toxic. But yeah, again, like it just shows that I wasn't aware. I didn't have a direction. I wanted to be a Marine, to be honest with you. My father's friend, Dave, I remember his name was, was a Marine helicopter pilot. And I looked up to him and that's what I thought I was going to do. Yeah. But, yeah, Brandon Tartikoff, it was a pet project for him. Miss Bliss, I don't know if it was canceled because of ratings. I mean, you know, at that age, a, I had no idea. Disney, ch- Disney
0: it was Channel. Disney Channel. Disney yeah. Channel.
1: So I, I wasn't even aware of ratings. I don't right. even know if you we Just show up. Just show, <laughs> yeah, just show up to work. Right. And then, yeah, then there was a reboot. I mean, that's sort of the story of Saved by the Bells, that every season we thought we were canceled. Every year, it was one of those things where you would look to Brandon, and Brandon would give you the thumbs up because his daughter liked the show. Right. And then we do another season of Say by the Bell.
0: So basically, though, just to continue with the so people can follow the chronology here, you have that one season of Good Morning Miss Bliss, canceled or ended or whatever. Now they decide to do a pilot with a show centered more on not only Zach but all the students. So once that pilot got picked up, they're going to put this on Saturday Sunday morning. Saturday Saturday mornings. I don't think there were other shows like that on Saturday mornings. No, there mornings. wasn't. Yeah. No. So. It was a they, weird they were for the. They called it the tween audience. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was well, a term
0: that was brought up. Yeah, that was yeah. the beginning of that. So once it went on the air in this unconventional time slot, I know you're saying season to season, you weren't sure where it was going, but it ends up 86 episodes over four, five seasons, depending on how you count the college right. years or whatever. Right. But what was the reception out of the gate? Were people into it? Crickets. Crickets. Uh, yeah,
1: pretty much. You know, social media wasn't around, so right. it's not we didn't have a barometer of our success. It wasn't a show that, I mean, I was still going to regular high school. Right. After
0: every season. So. But did you get the sense when you now are not on set, when you're back among your peers and nobody out in care. the world, nobody, nobody treated did. you differently? Nobody. The
1: only people that treated us differently is we were 16 and we were going to clubs. Right. <laughs> How did <laughs> I, that, what was that about? Well, because it's a, you know, you're on TV. Right. And so right. you could find yourself back in, in those days <laughs> the wild west <laughs> right you could find yourself at some of the bigger clubs but you know, you're they, saying throughout the run throughout the run there was i mean we would do these mall tours yeah. and maybe at that point you would realize how much the audience appreciated you know the show or i attribute that to the longevity yeah. of our shows because all six of us the cast yeah. you know obviously mr belding dennis haskins yeah. uh probably has a different story but it really grounded us And we were all from really good families and good kids. Mm -hmm. And being on a show didn't change us. It's
0: amazing. That speaks well to all of you. Um, Well, it
1: speaks well to all of us, but also the fact that, like I said, there was no way for us to know how much impact the show had. And I I mean... It might have changed us if we did know.
0: Right. And these days you
1: would, right? Social media, everything. Absolutely. I mean, I'm looking at my co-star, Sanaya. who's 12.
0: She's on Twitter. She knows how much people appreciate her. Or... Conversely, not necessarily applicable to her, but when people want to be mean or of course, whatever. that's there too. Yeah. yeah. So you guys filmed in front of a live studio yeah. audience, each other, which itself is unusual for that kind of a show, I would guess, right? Mm-hmm. That, in a way, is, I guess, closer to theater than a lot of other TV because mm-hmm. you've got to hit your beats and everything. Right. How did you like Miss that? Miss Bliss wasn't in, in front of a, a live audience, Saved yeah. by the Bell was, yeah. Which is now for NBC much bigger audience with a live studio
1: audience. Yeah. And then my first scene for Saved by the Bell was talking to the camera. Right. Breaking the fourth wall. Breaking the fourth wall, which I thought was super cool. So I think the way that it worked was Miss Bliss, I was trying to put the timeline together, but Miss Bliss was shot. Then I did the movie with Alan Arkin. Right. And then Saved by the Bell. Because I remember when I got the script for Saved by the Bell, it was pretty much about this character, Zach Morris. Yeah. And I asked Alan Arkin for his advice, and he says, don't do it. (laughs) <laughs> what was his reason? You know, I, he didn't give me a reason. Yeah. Looking back, I wonder if he maybe thought that I might have had a career in film a little bit more mm-hmm. and tying myself to a sitcom, being known as one character. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of. But I do remember him saying, don't do it. And I remember what my thought was, was I'm doing it. Yeah. It was a character. When I read the first script, I thought, this is Ferris Bueller. Yeah. I love that movie. Right. I loved what Matthew Broderick did. I said, I'm going to play. Ferris Bueller, this is awesome. Just so a I created, smartass. Yeah, I mean, he plays right. smartass. I mean, he's talking to the right, camera. Right, right, Exactly what Ferris did. And so, yeah, there was a... I remember the, the, the first night of filming in front of that audience and having to look at the camera and block out everything and just... But yeah, it was pretty nervous.
0: Well, I want to ask you about <laughs> that because, you know, the thing is.
1: I need to watch that scene again yeah, to I, see the reaction on <laughs> my face. I'm really not that good at dealing with nerves.
0: I mean, I can usually tell when I'm nervous on the screen. Well, you're anticipating exactly where I want to go here because the thing with, at least as a viewer, watching Zach Morris as a kid was like, you seem like a pretty confident or he seemed like a pretty confident guy.
1: I mean, that was the, the... Zach Morris was a character that I created from seeing the really cool kids in my school. I was not one of those kids.
0: That's what I wondered.
1: I was a kid that I wasn't in the low end and I wasn't in the top. I was somewhere in the middle. Right. And I would just observe and I would see, you know, both sides of things. But Zach was a character that I was good at playing because i could manipulate my eyebrow to kind of give me a you know lack of smirky. a better word of a smirky yeah, douchey yeah. look yeah. and the hair you know i did the hair yeah. enough you know and you i know. think
0: the the uneven smile right the uneven smile a
1: <laughs> little smirk i mean i had all these little things that right. i could do to make me right. be that character but that was, that was not you. me i mean so, if my friends would tell you that i
0: Definitely was not that character. But over the course of the five years, did that character rub off on you in the sense that... Not really, you, because you can yeah.
1: see from season to season, Zach Morris changes. Right. One season, I'm like Vanilla Ice. I mean, I have my hair is shaved on the sides because right. I was a fan of Vanilla Ice. The next season, it's like <laughs> I got this big coffee thing going on. I don't right. know what... You know, I was always trying to find right. myself and because those are such impressionable
0: years in your life. And you just have no real concept of the fact that out in the world, you're age contemporaries were looking at you as this is the way to dress, this is the hairstyle to have, that's how you get the prettiest girl? You yep. had no idea? No idea. Wow. No idea. So while the show was happening, I guess it would be like nine months of the year each season, and then the rest of the time you can either, I don't know, have go, a, back, have, to school. go back to school, right? Mm-hmm. So while it's happening, though, over those years, what's the mood? Are you guys happy to be there with each other? Were you guys, in terms of the, the core sex, actually friends or more than friends, like what was the, if you could take us back to 1991 or whatever it would be, any of those, you know, as this show is working, but for you guys being there, what was it like?
1: I think all of those. Yeah, you could check every single one of those examples. Sometimes we loved each other, and sometimes we hated each other. <laughs> there were moments when Peter Engel had to sit us down and say, guys, we have to film a show here. Because sometimes we weren't talking to each other. Of
0: because of romantic, be romantic entanglements? Yeah, entanglements, <laughs> and,
1: and maybe you would piss off Tiffany. Right. And because Tiffany's friends with Mario, now Mario's not talking to me. Right. And then vice versa, something happened between Mario and I'm not talking to Mar- it, it just It was a very small universe that we lived in right. and we operated in and sadly the only one that was never really it was always an
0: outsider because he was three years younger than us was dustin diamond who actually if i again if i have correct information so you're the first one cast obviously because you're coming over from good morning miss bliss and then i know dustin was for if you're talking about Save the belt dustin was also in miss bliss oh he was yeah. okay so then it was for for miss, miss bliss, bliss yeah. though you were the first one on board because what i read is that they would then have you read all the other people that were potential candidates to be on the show were reading with you and you kind of went to bat for Dustin. Well, I don't remember reading with Dustin. It may have happened, mm-hmm. but I remember because obviously I was 12 years old, yes. so
1: my memory is a little, I can't remember what I did last week. <laughs> right, right. Um, but I remember sitting in the waiting room to go in to read. And I remember seeing Dustin and I remember, uh, go back a little bit further, I remember reading the script of uh, Miss Bliss Mm -hmm. and going, how are they going to find this character? This is a broad character. (laughs) Even at a young age, I'm thinking, they're going to (laughs) have a hard time casting this character. (laughs) And I walk in, I see Dustin, and I start talking with him, like... He's the character. He's the geek. He's the guy. <laughs> He's definitely going to get right. this job. And I may have gone in and talked with... That that might be a story that Peter Engel brought up, but I may have gone in and while I was reading for my audition right. said that there's a great guy out there that's yeah, going to play Screech. Guy. I don't know. I mean, I, that could have happened. I may have said that just to loosen up the room.
0: So over those years between the two shows, was one of the other guys a closest friend? Was one of the girls someone that you actually... We most involved with over that time, like how do you we
1: all <laughs> traded spaces at some point or another I mean if you're together with the same cast for four years right. at those ages you um right you' yeah. you're just cycling around from friend to friend I mean it was all innocent again we're from the ages of thirteen to I mean when we ended the primetime show I was nineteen, yeah. and at some point you know it's like everything just cycles around, but there was nothing salacious there was right. nothing. No, no, no. You know, um,
0: well, even watching the college years, which was, I guess, the fifth mm-hmm. season and the only season that was in primetime, I think the final episode when Zach and Kelly are trying to get married ends with a hug. So, I mean, that just kind of puts like today, God knows what, yeah, what they would have people kids doing yeah. on a show like that because kids in the real world, I think, are a little more edgy, uh, and I don't think it's a good thing necessarily, but anyway, it's just that it was a time capsule in a way.
1: And really, that was us.
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: looking back at some of the storylines as an actor, you have to find things that you can relate in. I'm not so sure I could relate to any of those storylines that we did on Saved by the Bell or the college years, but for some reason then we kind of did because we were just good kids. I mean, we really were.
0: Last two (laughs) things about that chapter, if I can. I was amazed to see you say something, because here's my thing as a, as a viewer, I think most people would relate to this. I don't feel like Say by the Bell's ever been off the air because it's with syndication or reruns or whatever. It I feel possibly
1: like it was off the air in 94 when we wrapped up the Just, college yes. years until Reicher Entertainment picked up the rights to syndicate it,
0: Got it in 96. 96 is when we were syndicated and then it took off again. Well, so the reason I bring this up is that I would assume that, you know, when you hear about like friends is now on netflix and everybody's collecting 20 million dollars a year Mm -hmm. and all this stuff and then i read something you said where the only time you guys ever really were kind of compensated in a notable way was for the college years yeah yeah yeah. and not particularly with residuals and things that you would assume how is that possible i
1: don't know you'd have to talk to our agents i think because our agents were primarily agents for children
0: right that hadn't had something like this. I, I guess not. Yeah. I
1: mean, because our deals, even our merchandise deals are laughable. It's a shame. It really is. I don't think any of us are, you know, losing sleep right, over right. it. That's, uh, that's but it's still, it's one of those things that you'd like to be compensated. Of course. In the fashion that some of these other shows yeah. have been.
0: Some people made some really poor decisions on our behalf. So eventually when the final variation of "Say by the Bell, because again, there's the College years add on. There was a, what would you call it, a one off special? Like there are all these different.
1: Oh, like the two hour movies? Yeah, like the one in
0: Hawaii, the one in Palm Springs. So, all of that, when it finally, I guess the final thing was the college years, right? right? That ends. What was your mindset? Were you wanting to go right into other work? Was there interest in you for other work? What was the landscape at the time for Mark Paul? To take you
1: back a little bit after the original Save by the Bell ended, and we knew that that was it. We were done. Yeah. I wanted to play football. And so I was going to go to a local community college and try to redshirt. Because you're um, 19 at that point? I was point. 18. 18. 18 at that point. I hadn't made a decision to become an actor. And then when we were approached to do the college years, I had to lose a lot of weight because I was ready to play football, which is why I was substantially bigger in the college years than I was from the last right. season of Say by the Bell. And then at that point I sort of made a decision that wow, and we were making primetime money. Right. Now. So right. from Saturday morning money to primetime money, there's a big jump. It'll keep you in the game. <laughs> It'll keep you in the game. And at that point I thought, "Huh, I could either have bad knees or I could make some money doing something that I actually love <laughs> right, doing." Right. And felt I was decent at it. So after the college years, decided to become an actor, and then it was dry for a good 2 years after that. Why do you think? I was a character I'd walk into a room and the first thing people would say is like, oh, you dyed your hair brown. I'm like, nope. <laughs> Actually, I just cut off the, right. the blonde locks. Right. And now I'm more like me.
0: Did you feel that it was... I was typecast. I mean, there's no way around that. Obviously, being typecast itself is limiting, but as that character specifically because they see yeah. him as a certain kind of guy or what?
1: Possibly, but the landscape was different then. You see a lot of child actors now from Disney, mm-hmm. um, Nickelodeon, that will transition into a film career. Back then, you were either a TV actor or a film actor. There really was no crossover. And especially if you were a child actor, there really was no opportunity to say, like, oh, you've got these great numbers. Kids Kids will follow you. We're going to put you in a film because that'll generate numbers for us. It just, we didn't have that opportunity. It happened a little bit later. And so we finished the college years in 1984. And I think my first... I mean, I, I want to say my real job because I had done a few, you know, straight to yeah. DVD yeah, sort yeah. of things in Toronto that I never told my friends I was filming. <laughs> but I think my first real job was in 1996 when I did some TV movies for NBC. Right. And, and that was really the start of my career again,
0: jumpstart of my career. In that dry period, how bleak was your outlook? Was there a point where you're saying, you know, maybe I should just give this up entirely and do something else or? Yeah every once in a while I would get those little nuggets Mm -hmm. of, you know, the movie in
1: Toronto or some guest starring role and it would just sort of stoke that fire again for me to say, this is what I want to do. I see a future in this, but I've had that thought as recently as two years ago. After pitch or something? Uh, After pitch, before pitch. Yeah. Actually, before pitch, I just thought, I got to do something else. I got to get out of this business. What would you do? (laughs) Good question. I contacted David Feige, who was the creator of Raising the Bar with Stephen Bochco, and he wrote a book called Indefensible. He's a public defender for many years and taught at Seton Hall. And uh, I called him and I said, do you think I can pass the bar? And uh, would you help me? Hmm. And he said, "Uh, yeah, pull the trigger and I'll walk you through the path.
0: Wow, and I just
1: thought, you know, I was meeting with somebody who um, I went on a boys trip and we went salmon fishing up in Oregon and there was a family law attorney up there who was a stage actor. Mm-hmm. And he said, he got tired of the business and then yeah. just went into law in his forties. And he's a very successful family attorney. I thought that there, there's hope. Yeah. It doesn't sound you know, that I don't bad. Have to I don't have played to, a few lawyers. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's, how hard
0: could it be? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, one thing that you said a moment ago that I thought was really interesting is that you made the decision to be an actor after the Say by the Bell chapter, meaning that prior to that, it wasn't entirely your decision. And at least that's what I extrapolate from that. And so what I want to ask you is things in this business, it's like a tale as old as time, going back to Shirley Temple, I think, get tricky when family and business mix. It's just the nature of the game. And my understanding from something, I don't know if you've talked about it that much, and I don't want to ask you to talk about things that you don't want to. But the one thing I wanted to follow up on was researching here. You told People Magazine in 1996, quote, parents get just as greedy as anybody else. We came from a very poor family. And then after making money, we got a little sidetracked, close quote. And it seemed like you had been represented essentially in the business by your mom. And I don't know, maybe your dad as well. And then as an adult, you're now a you're able to be on your own. When did you become your own person, making your own decisions in this business?
1: I think out of that quote you said, there's only one piece in there that isn't correct. And that was the fact that we were a poor family. Okay. Looking back at it, I go, we're middle class, we're pretty good, you know, but growing up it felt, so in 96, I might have said that, but the rest of it is pretty true. Mm -hmm. I was represented by my mother as my manager until I was 19. And there came a point where I was, surrounded by other actors my peers that had managers and agents and it was a different level than what I had been brought up on it was a very uncomfortable conversation that I had with my mother at that time but I said to her you're my manager I'm paying you 10% but you're not doing what my peers managers are doing you're not setting up meetings with studios and meeting with you know writers and and things like that and my agent wasn't really doing that either. And that's where, at 19 years old, I, I sort of made a decision to find better representation and cut that cord, which was a super difficult conversation. And, and uh, totally. uh, yeah. who wants that in the family? But, right. you know, it was rocky for a little bit, but then she understood. There's a fine line between being a manager and being a parent, because you're driving your kids to set, you're taking them to auditions, but I don't know if that necessarily categorizes as a
0: manager, but...
1: Back in those days, that's what they
0: they needed to get paid. We yeah, we hear about it. I mean, Macaulay Culkin and all these. Uh, we all cars. sort of yep. grew
1: up in that in that same time, yeah. that same era where the parents were managers. And I keep going back as I'm working with a 12 year old now. Right. Currently, her parents are her parents, mm-hmm. and she has a manager and she has an agent. It's, it's great because that way the parent can full time focus on what being that's nurturing. The and, be. and, yeah. That's the way it should be. But yeah. also, I don't think a parent should be compensated for just being a parent. Right. I mean if you don't want to drive your kids hire somebody to drive your right. kids don't have a kid you know you, you, there, there's other ways now of course I don't think you need 10% to sit on set no. to basically chaperone your your son or daughter right. that doesn't warrant a 10% commission
0: no well so as you... I think that's a <laughs> But part- that's
1: but that that's a conversation I had to have at the age of 19 I look back and I don't think it was because my mother maliciously or directly was trying to you know commission her son yeah, yeah. It's just that's the way things were done it's not any different than the rest of the cast or the other you know kids my peers at that time
0: if it's not too personal to ask were you guys able to get beyond that and be no, cool yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 so now as an adult in this business it's a whole different ball game as you've alluded to and you said i think around 96 things started Going again with the adult career, or started going for the first time as an adult career. Oh, well, a young adult. I mean, young I was adult, playing right? at that time, I was
1: 96. I had gotten married in 96. I was 22 years old. Right. And married for the first time in 96. And then my first role back was with Candace Cameron Burray. Right. And I played a college student that was a rapist. Big stretch. That... I went from playing uh, you know, Zach Morris to <laughs> all of a sudden a, a rapist. rapist. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that...
0: Well, it seems though, like maybe the most important turning point in the career as an adult would have been when you wound up on NYPD Blue in 2001, joining in the ninth season as John Clark Jr., the son of Sipowitz's old nemesis, now his new partner. And it must have felt like a huge deal to have a major part on a major, really groundbreaking show. And I guess the key here, and for years thereafter, would have been Steven Bochco, who co-created that show, produced it, and became a big believer in and champion of yours. Mm -hmm. How did you two first meet, and why do you think he took such a liking to you?
1: I can answer the last part rather quickly. I don't know why he took a liking to me. I went in and auditioned for Philly, which was Kim Delaney's show that he created for her after she was done with NYPD Blue. So I went in for a role, and I remember I got a call as I was going in saying, they've just offered it to Tom Scott. Tom Everett Scott got the role. Do you still want to go in? And I was like, oh, man. I'd worked with Tom. Right. We had done Dead Man on Campus, I believe, in 98. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, we're not alike. <laughs> we're, we're totally not alike. I'm going to go right. in anyway because I'm going to do something different than what they can offer Tom. And they gave him a straight up offer. And I thought, and it, for me, too, I was thinking, why would they give Tom an offer? Right. <laughs> <laughs> why didn't they give me an offer? Right, um, right. But he had just come off of Dead Man on Campus and that thing you do. So he had he had a lot of heat behind him. Mm-hmm. But I went in anyway. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm here. I've worked on the material. I'm just going to go in and I did my thing. And I really didn't know who Steven Botchko was. I wasn't a viewer of NYPD Blue. And I remember this silver haired guy sitting there with jeans and a sweater and tennis shoes, stands up after I'm done and extends his hand. And he goes, you're really good. And I thought, oh, thank you. You know, that's my send off. And he goes, no, I'd really like to work with you in the future. And I thought, okay, you know, he's just sweet-talking me, but I didn't get this role. Got it. I know that Tom has it. And he said something that was interesting before I left. He goes, I know it's pilot season. Um, Let me know if you get anything. And so I made that call again to my manager directly after the meeting with Stephen, and I gave him, you know, the info. And we were trying feverishly to get on any sort of pilot that right. season because we thought that Steven might have something for me.
0: Right. If you're saying to try to get on a pilot that he was associated no, with?
1: No, just any pilot to sort of use it as a chip to but, say to Steven, like, hey, Mark Paul's going right. to be on... So you know, get
0: him off that. Get yeah. him off that, yeah, get, yeah, get yeah. him on something else. Because
1: right. he didn't really say what he had in mind, but right. we all know that working for Steven... Is gold. Yeah. I mean, if, yeah. You, if you get into that camp. Right. I remember I was auditioning for Smallville. I was like anything and everything I was trying to get on yeah. for another pilot. And he called two weeks later, unsolicited,
0: and offered me a role on NYPD Blue. Which probably would have been more exciting than anything. What did you originally go in for again with him? Philly. No disrespect to Philly, but I would think NYPD no, no, no. Blue is here, probably a cooler Yeah, thing. but here's
1: the thing. He didn't say what I was playing on NYPD Blue. Oh. He, he just called and said, how would Mark Paul like to be on NYPD Blue? And, of course, we all said, uh, duh, <laughs> you know, uh, sign us up. And you didn't Not realize. knowing what the character was. So I'm thinking, he, what did he see in the room that I could play? Right, right, yeah. I guess I'm just going to play a beat cop or something right, or right. maybe, you know, sort of guest star on a few things here and there. And then he let some time go by and then said, I'm going to make him sip with his partner. Rick Schroeder is leaving. So it happened first where he gave me the role. Right. And then Rick leaves, and then he bumps me to playing... Now, he may have thought that he was going to do that all along, but he didn't. That um, worked
0: out pretty well. That's he, <laughs> he wasn't
1: upfront with it with us in the beginning. And so me thinking, oh, my God, I've just been offered a role as a New York detective, right. L.A. kid. Right? How's this going to work? Right? What did he see in the room that I did that now I'm going to play Sipwitz's partner? It made no sense to me. So what did you do to get ready? I worked with Bill Clark, who was a technical advisor the first season of NYPD Blue and then slowly worked his way up to executive producer and created a lot of the story content for NYPD Blue. 25 years as a detective, we used a lot of his stories. Milch and Bill Clark were hand in hand. And uh, worked with Bill for about a month in New York and
0: just... Right right in the deep end. Yeah, right into the deep end. So that was, I think, for the final... Four, yeah, four seasons, seasons. of NYP Blues, yeah. seventy six episodes.
1: We only thought it was going to go one year because really? it was. I had come on after the ninth season, and everyone thought that it's winding down. It's winding down, yeah, yeah.
0: and then we got four seasons out of it. Wow! Amazing. And in fact, the way it ended, I believe you spoke the show's final lines. that's what
1: he said that the other day. I don't remember that.
0: And but I do. Regardless of whether there were final lines, your <laughs> final moments in the show. I guess we're pretty emotional for probably a variety of reasons for you, right? You remember filming your remember. final scene? I Apparently, know. I just read one other thing where you talked about, you know, so your character refers to Sipowitz who's now been promoted as boss, Lieutenant, right. but in terms of even just executing the scene, I guess it was emotional. A, it's a family that's ending, you know, right. but also, again, it's one of these moments like, where do you go after being a part of that caliber of a show? And are you thinking to yourself, where do I go next? I
1: actually thought that it was going to be a lot simpler now
0: and easier because I
1: had put my time, <laughs> you know, in, in four years and I right. thought, oh, this is going to be this is a, right, going to be a right, breeze. Right. It wasn't again. Right. It was like say by the bell right. all over it's- again where, you, you know, you, you do four
0: or five years on a successful show and then right. there's some dry moments. It seems like Botchko himself, if I have the chronology right, may have swooped in again because... You did the same year that the final episodes of NYPD Blue aired, you were in ten episodes of Commander in Chief. Right. Which is Botchko right, did swoop
1: in, in that because that was Rod Laurie's uh, yeah. show. And then there was a issue with him and ABC and then Botchko comes on. What was it? it was Rod clashed with A B C I guess that's, yeah. that was the rumors is that, you know, Rod has a different way of doing things right. as Stephen Bochco. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, oh, so oh, it was Rod and Bochco clash.
0: Nope, no, or? no, no. It was no, Rod. Right it was Rod network. show it was created yeah, by Rod yeah. and
1: cast by him and right. everything. But he may be a little slower to get to scripts as, you know, uh, Stephen Bochco is a machine. And, a, and TV's a you know it's a different landscape. Different I'm that. not saying like Rod, but it was a very difficult show. Yeah, it was very well executed. I was a fan of that show before I came on board because you did Rod. Be going I, a little bit. Yeah, and Rod actually, we had met at a restaurant one time, and he he gave me a really nice compliment. So after that, I was like a huge
0: fan of his. So <laughs> when Commander in Chief came out, I thought oh, I'm right. going to watch his show. And uh, we should remind people this is a female president. Long before that yeah. seemed like a realistic yeah. Gina possibility. Gina Davis. Gina Davis. And, Donald uh, Sutherland. Don, well, that's who I want to another, come to. Other people, some more people that I got to learn from. And, and we'll uh, talk about because there was one story regarding Donald Sutherland on that show that I mean, again, we're talking only ten episodes, but he made an impression on no, you. No, ten episodes for me. Right. That's what. Right. for right, you. Right, yeah, yeah. But like in that relatively short time on the show for you, you had a at least one experience with Sutherland that I think made a big impression, right? Well, he's an
1: imposing figure. Right. I mean, he's, he's, what, six foot four, or something like that. And he would wear this big parka on set, which made him look even bigger. Right. It'd be 100 degrees outside. He'd, he'd still wear these parkas. And he had <laughs> his own little trailer land and he had these two Jack Russell Terriers that would sort of guard it. And he had this assistant guy. He was just a character. Yeah, I love yeah. characters. <laughs> but he could rub people the wrong way. You were not allowed to smoke anywhere near his set. If he was on set and you smelled like smoke, he'd ask you to leave. Wow. And I loved it. I yeah. loved the guy. I mean, I, I thought, here's a legend that I get to work with. And so I had a great relationship with him. He knew that I rode motorcycles and we talked motorcycles and things like that. And Was there something about an eyeline shot? No, it was. Yeah, I remember we were filming in Hancock Park and we can't bring trailers into Hancock Park. So you, you park a mile away and you shuttle in to the set. And we filmed a scene where... He's speaking with Natasha Henstridge at the time, who was my love interest on in the show. So he's having a conversation with her. I'm in the background, and eventually you'll cut to my scene where I sort of notice them. So we shoot Donald's scene first with N- Natasha, and then he heads off, and now we're repositioning, and we're going to shoot my scene. Then they, they said, well, before we start filming, hold on, we're waiting for Donald to come back. And I said, no, 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 Donald doesn't have to come back. He's going to be my eye line, and I just put up a C stand with a with a piece of tape. It's fine. Leave him in. Leave him in his trailer because right. you know I don't want him to take that drive and right. and you know just preserve Donald. Right. They said, nope, he's coming in. I, oh man. So I thought he's going to think that I want him here right. or that I demanded right. him to be here. <laughs> so he comes on set, and I Mr. Sutherland. I used, always used to call him Sir Donald right, or, right. or Mr. Sutherland. He's right. you know, intimidating. Uh, yeah. He's intimidating. But I, right. I just love, yep. again, I, I I have such a, a soft spot in my heart for him. And I said, Mr. Sutherland, I'm so sorry. I did not request that you are here for my eyeline. I could have easily used the a C Sandy. He goes, son. He goes, I'm an actor. This is what I do. And he stood over there and he acted his whole side of that scene while I used him as, as an eyeline. And I wow. thought, my God, you know, here's a man who was in his 70s at right. the time who has that fire and that that drive that, you know, you, you wish everybody that you worked That's
0: opposite great. with had. That's why I got his honorary Oscar a year ago or whatever, about yeah. a year ago. That's He's
1: nice. a fantastic actor. Dennis was the same way.
0: Dennis Haskins on no,
1: or, uh, Dennis, oh, Dennis. Uh, Franz. <laughs> Dennis Franz. Dennis Franz. Dennis Haskins yeah, was nice. too. I just was too young to know what he was doing. Somebody had said, "You're now Dennis's age when okay. you were when you were filming." I'm now Dennis's age when we were filming "Say By The
0: Bell." You are now. Look, just so people know, this is Mr. Yeah, Belding. Mr.
1: Belding. I'm now his age when we were filming. Save I think Bell. you've got a little more hairstyle though. A little bit. A little, a little bit. bit more hair. But so. yeah, I, I I learned. I I just that's how I've that's learned. Amazing. I just yeah. learned from these these actors and. learn what to do and what
0: not to do yeah still goes on to this day after that um, I guess the next you know one that's important to talk about would be Raising the Bar which ran for 25 episodes 2008 to 2009 show about the lives of young public defenders and junior prosecutors coexisting in and out of the courtroom you're playing a defense attorney this guy Jerry another Bochco produced project two seasons I guess generally anything about that show, but also does it hurt or do you get used to when a show that you're passionate about, and I know we'll come to this more with pitch, but like with this case, do you just at a certain point, does it, you know, just run right off of you or does it hurt when, you know, you're, you're liking it and you feel it's working, but somebody else doesn't?
1: No, it still hurts. It still stings. Raising the bar just started off slow. It really did. I thought that Given the fact that it was on TNT, and given the fact that Botchko wrote it, and and the built-in audience that travels with, with him, and the caliber of the writing and the directing and and all of that, you think that's a winning formula. And then when it doesn't work out, you're you're thinking to yourself, well, God, what do I need to do to, to to sustain something on the air? No, it doesn't hurt any more or less. It, it's it's. This is part of the part yeah, of the process yeah. but uh yeah that was uh, that was the start of my relationship with TNT and then from there was offered
0: to do Franklin and yeah. bash yeah it's like two years later kind of came right out of it
1: raising the bar I went to go do theater in New York yeah end of 2009 into 2010 shot the pilot for Franklin and bash March of 2010
0: wow so, And then yeah. we started filming in September of 2010 and did four years of that before we talk about Franklin and bash though that for you to go and do in 2009, what you're talking about, to go to New York where you hadn't spent much time. <laughs> no, no time. No time prior to I that.
1: went in to audition for that role. Bradley Cooper had done it in the summer theater. I'm not a theater guy. No, What, no, what no. is that? What is that called when they go? Well, like Summerstock or whatever. Summerstock or up in New York. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So well, Bradley Cooper had done that role with Julie White.
0: Right. And I believe Justin Kirk, maybe, mm-hmm. at Summerstock. And this... this role is it's in a Teresa rebeck show she's a i knew about her because fantastic terrific yeah. writer and called the understudy you're playing an action movie star making his broadway <laughs> debut in a lost kafka play which itself sounds crazy yeah, and it was nuts. but i have a lot of respect for the fact first of all i have a lot of respect for anyone that does theater where you're doing probably in this case as well eight eight times a week right yeah eight. and you know They don't make the kind of money that TV or film people do. They're not famous as generally in the same degree and they're killing themselves. But often I think they're the most talented people there are very talented, you know? So for you, why did, you know, you're at that point of very well-known person in 2009. You're what in your thirties. I was 35. What made you give it a try?
1: I had a agent at the time that was thinking outside the box. Yeah. She was, uh, Chris Schmidt over at Paradigm, she was um, into theater and said, you should give it a shot. You're young, and I think you'd be really good at it. I think you'd really enjoy it. And she was right. Yeah, you Uh, got great notices. Yeah, it was fun. I I went in, I I met with the director, Scott Ellis, here in Los Angeles. And I basically said to him, this is pretty much the first play I've read in years. And I've I've never been on stage, and I have no idea what I'm doing. That was basically the character. It was this action guy who who decides to do theater for the first time. And it's a three-person play, Julie White, Justin Kirk, and myself for 90 minutes. And uh, no intermission, right? No intermission, just an awesome—that experience alone, I wish I could do that more. What did you like about it? The control as an actor, because once you're up on stage, it's just you and— the other actors. You can
0: do anything. Right. Because TV and film, they, it's not your, it's it's the writer, it's it's the the director. It's
1: the writers. It's, it's, uh, less so the writers, but it's the director, the editors,
0: the producers, it's their product. And once we got on stage, it's the actors. And, you know, a lot of people, I used to feel this way before I got into theater. I know a lot of people still do They say, you know, I don't know how long you did the understudy, but let's say it was August until January. Right. So, okay. So five months or whatever. People say, how can you do the same thing eight times a week for five months? And aren't you going to get bored and it's repetitive? (laughs) Tell the, tell why that's not true. No, it's really not true. We did over 70 shows
1: and each one is different. Every single moment was its own moment. From the first shows until the last shows, it it would feel like a completely different vehicle. You just make changes from show to show, from moment to moment. It was just honestly, it was just a, the whole process really was uncomfortable for me. I'm not a big rehearser. I don't like to rehearse, and so you've never had to. I never had to. I mean, we rehearse. You know, when you're on set, when you're doing these uh, shows, you were you you're basically rehearsing to see if everyone has the lines and then where you're going to be standing and we'll move the cameras and rehearsal process could take maybe 10 minutes maybe at the most every scene with rehearsal for theater it was a, it was a month worth of rehearsals and you're away from your family you're away from your family and you, and you're, you for for me it was really uncomfortable because I don't know the character yet and I'm allowing someone to see me develop a character. And I wasn't used to that. Usually when you come on set, I'm, I'm already in character. I am the character in, in theater with Scott Ellis. He wanted to shape the character and having to do that with other people observing Julie White and, and Justin, I just, I was incredibly uncomfortable with the process. After that, I, I, just fell in love with it and, and wanted to do more. Unfortunately, it it doesn't pay you're away from your family there's not a lot of, it's a lot of time, a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of time, a lot of work. I don't, I don't have the luxury anymore to do that at this point in my career. I'd love to go back at some point. point I I absolutely will go back.
0: And you came away from that. You think a better actor when you were now going into Franklin and Bash, again, lawyers, two ambulance <laughs> yeah. chasers. A uh, theater actor well, going no, uh, Franklin I mean, and but Bash. But even, even just from the experience, though, I mean, I would imagine that there are things that you, it just sharpens you, probably. It sharpens you. I mean,
1: I, I don't know that I needed a lot of training for Franklin and right. Bash, other than just being open and aware and and feeding off of my my co-star, Brecken. I mean, we just... Uh, Franklin to your Bash. Yeah, the Franklin... And my, we still don't know who's Franklin and right. who's Bash, but... He and I just worked really well off each other. We were just it, it felt like the four years of filming Franklin and Bash was a riff. Yeah. It wasn't. There was a blueprint there that we that we adhered to, but for the most part, it just we really enjoyed feeding off of each other and made some
0: really fun stuff happen on on screen. I came across a thing that if it's true, it's pretty crazy. When did you two first meet? We no. met in a we met like briefly
1: in an airport one time. Uh, I forget what we were traveling to, and we we bonded over Xbox. And I remember us just going, "Hey, love your work, love your work." Now, and he then, says though, hmm,
0: and in a hotel, in a airport bathroom, no, no. That's, that's that's what he would say. <laughs> right, no. no, 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 he says that, and I don't have any reason to believe that he's joking or anything. And maybe <laughs> why? Maybe there's no reason for you to have remembered this, but he says, "Quote, I grew up at the same time that that you yeah, that you were." Yeah, yeah. He says, "I was acting." Like, I used their sets one time, Saved by the Bell sets, when I did a pilot, and I met Mark Paul as a kid. He may have. He may have. But, the, you know, I'm sure it meant more to him have, than yeah. you at that time. But, yeah, no, I would not I wouldn't. But that's kind of he interesting. May have. Yeah. yeah, he so, may have, Well, I think they may have used their sets. I don't know whether or not he would have seen me, though,
1: because if he you're using he my sets, we're, we're I rad. know, you
0: wouldn't be there, but yeah, yeah. anyway, he claims he met you. But uh, yeah. it's nice that, you know, you guys had great chemistry. The show goes four seasons, then... Comes the one that it feels like to me from everything you've ever spoken about. It was maybe as as important to you and and that you're as proud of well, as long any part- before pitch. If that's oh, what yeah, that's thinking. where I'm going. So what was between them? the NBC
1: pilot or show? It was a sitcom, a hybrid that Pam Fryman directed, DJ Nash okay. created. Okay. It was called Truth Be Told, and that was on NBC, and we ran ten episodes. And I thought, here, here's where my yeah. thinking was: after Franklin and Bash, right. only doing ten episodes a year. For four years and wanting to do more, and, right. and ten is really—I mean, it's not a great living.
0: It's a living because they pay by the episode. Or they what? pay
1: by the episode. You're you're maybe working four months a year. Really? You're now tied to the show right. for the remainder of the year. There's not much you can do. You could possibly do like a three-episode arc on something. You can do a film. Because
0: how many episodes were you doing, doing with a saved film. by the Bell? I mean.
1: Good luck doing a film, though. You know, being in, on, on cable exactly. and, right. and, and you know, they're not making those types of films no, anymore. It's right. either
0: big films or right. big actors are doing small films. But like when you were on NBC doing Say by the Bell, what was it like thirty something episodes? No, we did twenty two a year. Twenty two, okay. 22 or so now it's just a draft a point of reference. So this, yeah. so now you now you're, we're doing ten, 10. episodes.
1: I, I I had done ten episodes of television since raising the bar. I think raising right. the bar, we did ten the first, fifteen the second. Yeah. Uh, oh, before that was Commander in Chief. I only did 10 episodes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've, I've only been doing 10 episodes of television <laughs> a nice for, for yeah, you know, retired. It's, it's not, <laughs> you know, financially, it's right, not no, a great oh, no, model right. to follow. You have four kids. I have four right. kids. So it's not a great model to follow. So my <laughs> right. thinking after Franklin and Bash of doing 10 episodes right. for the last six years, right. possibly longer, is I'm going to get on a sitcom and I want that 22. Uh, I'm going to go, you know, on a, on a, big, bang on theory. a yeah, big bang theory, man, big bang, how I right. met your mother. Right. I'm thinking this is the life right. I am going to retire right. I've Been I've in this business way right. too long. So I, I get a sitcom on the air. Right. And
0: uh, we do 10. Right. Oh, <laughs> and it gets canceled.
1: And then after that, I, uh, I audition
0: for Pitch. So Pitch is co-created by Dan Fogelman and debuted at almost the exact same time as another little show he created called This Is Us. Well, the story is that he created
1: both for 20th. Oh. And Fox passed on This Is Us, not thinking <laughs> that it was part of their model. So they picked up Pitch, and This Is Us went to NBC. That's pretty bad. Well, I mean, it's still owned by Twentieth, right? You know, so it's They'll not that okay, big. They'll be yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. but it's not on Fox. And I, who knows? Maybe not. Have, it might not have worked the, as well. Yeah, each
0: Network has their, you Yeah, each yeah has their brand, and and This Is Us fits on that brand. So Pitch, you're playing Mike Lawson, professional baseball catcher at the end of his career, catching a female pitcher right at this right. point and sort of tell you the story about the audition sorry to cut yeah. you off is that kevin uh,
1: falls yeah. is the co-executive producer along with dan fogelman kevin falls was the executive producer for and creator of franklin and bash and so i read this script and i thought i can play this character plus i have an in i'm gonna i'm gonna right, call right, kevin right i know he's working on this so i call kevin i say uh what are my chances what can you do for me he's like i ain't gonna do anything for you He's like, you're going to come in here and read for Dan. Dan wants everybody to read. I go, okay. Yep. You know, it's like actors generally don't like to read. But for right. that, I was willing to read because it wasn't
0: a character that you have seen me play before. And then I went in and, and read. Why is it that that character ended up meaning so much to you? You really made it your own. And, and then again, what's it like when probably more so than ever, you're invested in something that then gets the rug pulled out from under it.
1: It's not necessarily that character. It's who I was working with and the environment that I was allowed to work in. It's similar in a way to NYPD Blue, that particular environment. It's a safe environment. It's a creative environment. You're working with people that you really want to work with. Franklin and Bash, same thing. Working alongside people that I, I, every day, you know, you're working with them for 16 hours a day. I loved being in the same room with these people creatively, personally, personally. And the same with Pitch. Pitch, I'm working again with Kevin Falls. Dan is an amazing human being and writer. The, the, the material that we were getting in every single episode was was some of the, the, the best I had been given. The actors, Kylie Bunbury, Mark Consuelos, Mo McRae, Ali Larda. I mean, these were just really good people to be in the room with. Pitch was tough because, and I told Dan, I said, you really fucked it up for me. Because arguably some of the best material... And when you saw the finished product, I was so proud of the finished product. I thought that that was the winning formula. I thought that that was it. I'm I'm going to be on this show until I retire, mm-hmm. and then for it to not go, it was um, one. I, I season, said the yeah. reason why you fucked me up is because you had all the elements there, and if that didn't go right, what are what are my chances for getting something else to go? Why do you think it didn't go? I feel that it was the at the wrong. Wrong, wrong time. I don't know if it was a wrong place, but it was a wrong time. It just was in a, you know, it was a political environment at that time. Hillary Clinton was up against Donald Trump. Right. And people thought it was politically motivated, that it was a vehicle for Hillary in some way. Could it be reincarnated? Sure. I you think would it be could. in? You'd be down? I think all of us would be in. Yeah. I, I know that I would be, we talk about it all the time. Kylie, myself, Kevin. Yeah. I've talked with her, Dan. Yeah. We'd all step
0: up to the so, plate yes good good metaphor <laughs> for that all right this brings us to the main course because i think was that the beginning of your relationship with fox right yes and is that purely coincidental or did that have a direct lead into the passage i had a direct lead-in how did that work so pitch
1: was 20th century studio yeah on fox at the time that i was filming pitch i had sold a show with Meyer. Oh yeah, you guys started uh we, we, we just I had an idea and I I I wanted Brecken to write it yeah. and we ended up selling it to ABC, ABC Studios and ABC, and then 20th gave me a development deal out of that, and so I had a really good relationship with 20th. And then while we were waiting for the outcome of pitch, the passage was sort of laying around. I knew about it because I was asking 20th some of their projects that they're currently working on. What direction can I go in in terms of things that I'm creating? And so I read the passage and saw that I potentially
0: could be that character. We should just say for listeners, if they haven't yet discovered it, Brad Wolgast is a distinguished military vet who is now working for the government to deliver to people who he doesn't really necessarily at first know what they're doing, but deliver people to them is that without spoiling it is that a fair way to <laughs> you're not really spoiling anything the, the i mean the have show- i'm just yeah trying i know to think it, to it's so crazy because the show
1: it. like how, how do you condense the right. show it's based on a trilogy of books right. written by justin cronin my character is just a small piece of this epic puzzle right but yeah i mean you you, you basically said what the beginning stages the early stages of my my character are and then he's gonna well one of the people
0: he's got to deliver is ends up being a or he's expected to deliver is a child child. yeah and there he has because of his own personal recent past with his own child has some moral dilemma dilemma and goes on the run with her and then mayhem ensues yes i understand that there was this long period where you're hoping it's going to go you're expecting it's going to go <laughs> it's the it's longest not- process for like, a tv why? show why what is this
1: this never happens for anyone who's not familiar with how television works right. there's a long development process but once an actors and all, you know the actors and the directors are on board it's go time basically you film a pilot and if the pilot's good and the network likes it you get it on either the fall or mid season right. and so 2017 we film a pilot for midseason, this is going to be a midseason show. We film a pilot, I believe, in June of 2017. Everything is is positive about the process. Uh, I, th- I think the the studio and the network were happy about the dailies that were coming in, and I'm thinking, okay, we're going to go into production in September in Atlanta, and it just kept getting pushed. And by November, we were looking at possibly, you know, it was going to go into production in January, February of the of the next year in 2018 and then i hear that they're going to reshoot the pilot and which is so unheard of in television yeah. if if you have to reshoot a pilot there's something really wrong and it's expensive and it's expensive and so we've reshot parts of the pilot did
0: you have the same child co-star? cuz she would have probably yeah, i know aged that's that the thing too we
1: we did we had you sanaya did? we had we, and i can we can kind of notice yeah. her <laughs> She's basically a different person. She was, what, 11 or so? She was 11, and then she was 12 when we filmed the second (laughs) one. But we made some changes. We simplified the script a little bit to just focus on Project Noah, which is the secret government facility that has been tasked with trying to find a cure for infectious diseases. So we focused primarily on that because the original script showed the future. It was bookended by the future. The the tale basically spans a 1,000 years. And so we're... Our first season focuses primarily on the first few months of how these scientists started the end of the world. But yeah, we we reshot that second pilot in 2018 and then went into production the summer of 2018. So it was almost a
0: full... That's crazy. ...full year before... Was there ever any point at that, during that period, when you're saying to yourself... I like this. I'm optimistic about it, but like, I have to (laughs) move on with my life. Yeah. I mean,
1: uh, yeah. She's not getting any younger, uh, Sanaya, and I'm not getting any younger. Thankfully, I have a development deal over 20, so I was able to continue to create. My projects were going in the right direction Mm -hmm. so I could focus on them. I was able actually, Fox allowed me to work on a show called Nobodies with some really talented, funny people. And I I, I got to do 12 episodes of that because generally you're only allowed to do three episodes yeah, yeah. Of, of another show. Yeah. And so they let me do 12. Wow. And so I made a little bit of money there and was making money off my development deal yeah. and was sitting tight, hoping that this would go, but this was a, this was a big gamble a on hours. everybody's part. But the, it, the, the the whole development process took Matt Reeves and Ridley Scott and everyone involved, I, I believe eight years Crazy. to get to this point.
0: Although we have to say, I mean, like the, they don't call them vampires on your show, but the whole concept of vampires and genre it's never been like hotter right I mean it's a its the it, there is a great interest in it that probably makes it worth sticking it out for something like that yeah right?
1: which is one of the reasons I, I wanted to sign on to begin yeah. with it was a great story that had a lot of heart that was surrounded by this genre I had never been a part of a genre yeah. and I thought this would be a good opportunity to, to, to do that but also to have that heart that Liz Heldens brings to her projects
0: well yeah I mean for all the blood sucking and other things that may occur. The the heart of the show is still this almost parental relationship, relationship yeah. between you and Sanaya. And, you know, famously everyone's always been told since WC Fields, don't work with children or animals. And yes. yet somebody said that I came up with that. And I, I <laughs> recently they are like, So
1: you came up with uh don't work with children and, and animals. I said, No actually yeah, W C Fields it's been around. <laughs> Take it easy. Right. But I do I
0: do agree with that. Yeah. Well generally it would Seem to be true. It's going to complicate matters. It does, but she's great, and your chemistry is great. Yeah, is that just there or not there? Or do you were you able to cultivate that in some way? I think we cultivated
1: it. I had to gain her trust, which we used. On Did the, she on know the... who you are? Was she intimidated? No, by she, you? she not at <laughs> all. Uh, there's a funny story that she had no idea. We were sitting in a car about to film a very emotional scene, and and we had some time just her and I sitting in the car while they're setting up. And she, she turns to me and she goes, somebody told me you're, you're, you played a character named Zach Morris. <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, I, I did. And she goes, well, I don't know who that is. She goes, I don't even know who Zach Morris is. She goes, the only Zach I know is Zach Efron. <laughs> and he's going to be my husband someday. And I said, oh, okay. That's great. <laughs> I said, yeah, you know, I'll, oh my god! Well, yeah, will introduce you guys. Right, you know? right. That was on the first pilot. So that was in right. 2017. So when we come back to film the second pilot in 2018, she's like, almost one of the first things she says to me is like, she goes, Oh my God, you're Zach Morris. She was, <laughs> I saw homework. She was, well, she saw the show on Netflix <laughs> yeah. and then she's just quoting parts of the show. She's trying to put me in timeout. Oh, yeah. She's timing out. You know, she's walking around set doing that. And I'm like, that doesn't work on me. That's, Which, so, you know, funny. That's but so funny. She now
0: understands a little bit of about your background, about my, my, <laughs> my uh, 30 years in this business. Do you think that having, for most viewers who do know your, your track record to this point, your trajectory to this point, People talk about screen personas, which when you've been around for decades doing this, you're going to have played lots of different kinds of parts. But maybe the part that you are most closely associated with makes the audience see you in a certain way when, when you do something new. There's a reflexive, I like this guy or I trust this guy or whatever. Do you feel that that exists with you? And does it maybe, you know, like, I think it might, if it does help in this case, because if we just have some random guy with the child you know doing this we're not gonna maybe have that innate belief that this guy is gonna be doing the right thing or or is a solid guy the same baggage that might have caused typecasting at the downside of this could actually be to your advantage in the long run where people just like you possibly it's happened with this with the passage as well as with pitch
1: pitch Pitch and passage. I changed my appearance for a pitch. I had a full beard. I gained twenty five pounds. I've kept that weight on for mm-hmm. the passage because I felt it, it it helped with the the image of a paternal figure to this child. But both times it's happened where people watch the first few episodes and not realize it's actually me that they're watching. And I guess you know that, that, that sort of dispels your your, your yeah. theory. But I also feel that the writing is what, you know, Liz Heldon created this, char- Liz Heldon's, she always has that S on that <laughs> thing, um, but she created this character. Uh, it's on the page. I always say to her, she's, she'll come back to me and say, that was a beautiful scene between you and Sanaya. I love that scene. I go, Liz, you wrote that. We're just saying the words. I mean, that's all on the page and the it, it, it's just there. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe people are watching it, but a lot of people don't recognize me, and, and
0: they still well. Appreciate and it's not the to character. take anything away from the performance, which is still you know just as great as if you were somebody nobody had ever seen. I don't. I'm not saying it's any lesser. I just it's interesting when people Possibly. have not I, many. I, I people do the have, same
1: thing though, but yeah. I'll watch a, a movie, and if I like the person, it,
0: it, yeah. I like their character even more. Right. Right.
1: So I think that yeah, that 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 definitely happens.
0: Where does the show go from here at this point? You're waiting to. Here, the official <laughs> i'm at ahead. that point
1: again where i'm 10 <laughs> episodes and then <and>, uh <laughs> we'll see where it goes we're just waiting for the second season i think everything is positive yeah. we've got some really good numbers yeah i'm so proud of the the the
0: final product i'm really enjoying watching the show as a casual viewer and it's impressive like something i mean you're doing movie there's movie level it's a vfx we, yeah you there, did a two-hour finale that must have you had to, I'm sure it was a grind to, I, I read that you guys had only like eight days to do that, that two hour finale, I think. No, no,
1: no. The two hour finale was nine and 10. A Fox decided to run those together consecutively to make a, a two hour finale. So we, we filmed nine and we filmed it, 10. Each episode takes eight days to film. Got it. But nine, there's a sequence in there where the virals break out. And on a film, you, you would take a month to shoot right, that, that nice. sequence. And we shot it in. A day and a half. Some of the most ambitious storytelling I've ever been a part of.
0: Yeah. I mean pitch was pretty ambitious. This blew it away. That's excellent. Well, if we can wind down with just kind of a fun thing, just like first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. When you're flipping through TV channels and happen upon Say by the Bell, what do you do? Watch for
1: a few moments and then <laughs> change the channel.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I have a hard time watching myself. I'm better at it now because I feel like so much time has passed. So I may watch the rest of it just because I don't remember any of it. And so watching it is... You don't remember the making of any of it? I don't remember. No, I remember moments. Like if few. Like I, I, I can remember that moment my first time mm-hmm. breaking the fourth right, wall. right. right. There's a few moments of, of like personal things that happen mm-hmm. on stage, but filming, I don't remember. Is that
0: just because in the moment it wasn't, didn't have that grand significance to no, you? No, we just weren't doing sentimental. It? I mean, yeah. you're, you're 15, 16, right. nothing right. really, you know, you're not right.
1: sentimental about anything. Same with NYPD Blue. I was, yeah. I was watching, uh, I, I was traveling back from Atlanta and the, my seatmate sitting next to me, he claims, and this was after the flight, but he was watching four episodes of, of NYPD Blue next to me on his iPad and, you didn't even- and after we land and that's when people start conversations. Right, Cause right. you know, yeah. that you're only going to be around the person for another right. five minutes. Right. I said, uh, yeah, what are you doing? He's a producer. He's right. a producer of some film that was filming Atlanta. And he's like, uh, so what do you do? And I said, uh, you were watching me for the last, uh, four hours. He goes, Oh my God. He's like, I'm so sorry. He goes, I, honestly, I would never do that. If, you know, I, I, I wasn't intentionally watching the show knowing that you were there. He's like, but that's just my, my, my thing. He goes, I watched these episodes over and over. And I said, well, I'm, I'm kind of glad you did. Cause yeah. I was actually enjoying the show. Uh, Cause I, I was, I was watching it going, look at that, that yeah. young guy. <laughs> right. But yeah, I don't remember much about NYPD
0: blue either. Interesting. Yeah. This windup is, I know I'm talking rapid fire, but this needs a little bit, this one needs a little bit of a windup nostalgia for the eighties and nineties is rampant these days. We've seen, reunions and reboots of everything from Roseanne to the karate kid. Several of you guys from Say by the Bell did the tonight show with Jimmy Fallon a few years ago. It nearly broke the internet. I think thirty nine million views on YouTube. Then they've started this Say by the Bell pop up restaurant, went from Chicago to West Hollywood, and that became a phenomenon, even I think an off Broadway show. The point is to what do you attribute the enduring popularity of of that particular show? That's the question,
1: isn't it? I, I have no idea. I'm okay. I mean, me personally, I'm okay with never seeing a reboot ever again. I, I, I like original content. Yeah. I really appreciate what Cobra Kai has done. I yeah. appreciate what Roseanne's yeah. done. What uh, Fuller House has done. It's great. Nine hundred two and O now is is uh, heard uh, for for Fox. But I'm okay with never seeing a reboot ever again. I don't think I don't have this this. You know, drive to want to see right. shows that I that I like. I was a huge fan of A Team. I was a right. huge fan of Magnum PI. I, I don't need to see these reboots, me personally. So I don't know what what the the desire is to have these these reboots. Are I, there I, any I
0: circumstances know. where they could rope you into doing one? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they, they, they,
1: if it was a good product that we I, I felt wouldn't tarnish the original product, then yeah, I'm I'm open to hearing anything. And
0: <laughs> would there be a way that it could be the entire cast? I know you've people have talked about of the course. fact Dustin there's uh, been is that listen, over
1: Listen, I've worked with you know I've worked with actors that I, I couldn't stand being in the room with. Uh, Dustin is
0: not one of those people. so you know and with, nothing with, that like I guess it seemed to have stemmed from the from the book right I don't who cares about the but book? The book
1: was was fiction. Right. I mean it was it was it was his. I
0: don't know he what was it going was going through or something, but I don't know what it was, and it was, it was, it was. But l- just because I know people were surprised, I forget if it was on Andy Cohen or something recently when they heard it'd been 25 years since you guys had yeah, had spoken. But
1: that's that's normal. When was the last time I spoke to another castmate on on Large. another project? Right. You know, okay. I did. I uh, you. know, last time I spoke to Jacinda Barrett when I did uh, right, uh, right. a show called DC or, right. or Gabriel Olds. Uh, you know, we just so as Dustin, actors, we just don't talk to you know. It's not something that.
0: If he we walked do. in here right now, you guys would be okay. you'd be okay. Hey, what's going on, man? Yeah,
1: you know, I mean, will we go grab a beer afterwards? Probably not. Right,
0: but you'd that doesn't to, wait, that doesn't mean anything. Maybe if we
1: apologize, I don't even care about no. it. I, all right. Honestly, there's there's nothing like I don't take any of that right. stuff personally, especially no, when it comes to work. Right, when when it comes to work,
0: you shut all that stuff off. Where was Zach Morris be today?
1: I don't know. I I liked what I did originally. What I had done on Fallon in 2009, I was promoting raising the bar and I went on Fallon's show as Zach Morris and I explained to him why my name was Mark Paul Gossler because SAG made me change it and all right. this uh, stuff I, I created that dialogue with one of his writers it was 11 page dialogue and I, I really had a great time doing something like that I would love to do Fallon's show again I think there's you know the 30th uh, anniversary is coming up and if we could do something with Fallon again that'd be great yeah but yeah I mean I like like I said I, I I think I said this but I love what they've done in Cobra Kai yeah um, cool. That type of reboot, I'd be really interested in
0: exploring. This is the Karate yeah, the yeah. Last two are are a little heavier. This week, we unexpectedly lost a sort of relative contemporary of yours, seven years older. Like you, the coolest guy on a 90s show about high school, only in his case, it was Beverly Hills 90210. That's Luke Perry. The outpouring of tributes and love and affection for him has been really nice to see, but a lot of people have said it would have been kind of nice if this had happened when he was around to experience it. I think there's sometimes people are in some ways taken for granted or whatever when they're around. So I guess I just, the question is, did you know him and what has it been like for you to process? It's, it's an unusual and very weird thing to have somebody quite young have this, you know, everybody's still in a little shock, I think.
1: Yeah. I knew Luke. We actually worked together on, on uh, John from Cincinnati for David Milch and uh, we had a scene i uh, really don't remember that scene but i just saw a picture of us right. working together growing up sort of in the industry him being on Nine Hundred Two and say with about the same time we were right. filming at the same time there's a lot of crossovers i always had a great interaction with him but more than that i don't i don't have any stories or anecdotes no, no, but I mean, just... but to 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 hear about a guy 52 years yeah. old children you know fiance and and everything that that was sort of left behind i mean it's it's, it's it's terrible it's terrible i'm i'm 45 now and to think my god he was only seven years old than me and he went through this it's just it, it it was shocking i feel terrible for for the
0: people in in his life yeah last question what in you know it's now what 34 35 years in in this business what are you proudest of and where do you think you would be today if let's say just since the, probably, you know, the first major break in a way would be Saved by the Bell. If that had not happened 35, 30 plus years later, where would, where would you be today? If Saved by the Bell hadn't happened, I still
1: think I would have been in this business. I don't know to what capacity or, or in what direction, but I would have been in this business. There was a lot of my peers at that time that are still in this business that are doing well I still feel like a rookie. I, I really do. I, I I look at my career. I look at my resume. If I'll you know happen to glance at an IMDb thing and go down that rabbit hole, and I look at it and I go, I have so much more to accomplish. I have so much more that I want to do. I I haven't done everything that I want to do. I'm 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 still learning. I'm still open to it. I, I still enjoy the process. It hasn't broken me yet. There's been many, many times close where it's calls. been very close calls. Uh, possibly if Passage doesn't go, right, right. You know, we could have a different conversation, uh, no, I'll be fine. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm still enjoying the, the process. I, I've always felt this way is that the, the business doesn't define me, but I, I like being a part of it. I, I like doing my work, coming in, creating, working with some great people, and then going back to my life as, as, a, as a family man, a husband, a father. Yeah, but I, 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 there's still so much left that i I feel I have yet
0: to accomplish. It's been, it's really been a treat to follow the first thirty plus years, and I look forward to the that next. Doesn't feel long. When I look back, <laughs> thirty
1: years is a long time, but I I, 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 still feel, I still feel fresh. Still feel like I be put in. It's, you know, you, you sitting on the job. bench and ready to go in.
0: Well, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it.